Hi, my name is Chris Bell, and I want to invite you to join us today for a continuation of the journey through the amazing but very complicated, confusing but also very relevant book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. It's written by King Solomon, who was the richest, wisest, best-looking, and most experienced man in the world at that time. He was a great king over Israel. In fact, during his reign, the king of Israel uh, turned that country into a world power. Pretty amazing. And we get to catch him at the end of his life. Ecclesiastes is so valuable because you've got this guy who walked away from God at times during his life. He tried everything under the sun. And that's one of his key phrases he uses throughout the book. In fact, it's a key to you and I understanding the book, under the sun. What Solomon is doing is he's going to take different pieces of our lives and he's going to show you, like looking in a mirror, he's going to tell you the truth, unadulterated, not watering down at all. He's going to tell you the truth of what life looks like when you pull God out of it. What does life look like when it's just under the sun? If that's just your viewpoint, then your life is meaningless. And we've looked at different parts of life. In week one, we looked at the fact that if you go the humanistic route or the hedonistic route, you will find nothing. That's what Solomon said. He tried it both. He tried humanism, which says, be a better person, improve your life and the world around you. He said, I tried that. I had the money and the opportunities to do it. It didn't work. It left me empty. So then he tried the hedonistic route, which means go for the pleasure, man. Enjoy your life. Live it up. And Solomon said, look, I tried that. I had the money. I was the richest guy in the world. I could do that. And he said, it also left me empty. And then we looked at the idea of work and the fact that this thing that we're going to spend most of our lives doing, working, can become not a gift from God as it was intended to be work. But if you pull God out of the picture and you look at your work like it's just under the sun, like we're just accidental uh, coming together of molecules that produce life, if that's all we are, we're going to live and die, then your work means nothing. And that the Bible says that when you treat work like that, it becomes this other word. It's called toil. And you will end up hating it. And then we looked at seasons. Our lives are made up of seasons. And you and I are in different seasons. We all have unique seasons. And if we don't determine and embrace our seasons, we learn we will inevitably waste them. And God doesn't want you to waste them. And Solomon doesn't want you to live life like it's just under the sun. That's the point of Ecclesiastes to get you out from under the sun, to get your viewpoint, to get your heart and mind out from under the sun and to see that there is more to life than that. In chapter 3, we saw why we all know intrinsically in our hearts that life is not just under the sun. We learned uh, that we have eternity placed in our hearts by our Creator. That's right. You and I were made in the image of God. We're not just dogs and cats and horses and, and animals. We are people, humans. We are made in the image of God, meaning eternity is in our hearts. We naturally want more, long for more. We're passionate, and we know that life is not just life under the sun. And We know that our seasons in life do matter, and we intrinsically know our work matters. We know that there's more to life than, than just under the sun. And Solomon's trying to pull that out of us and point us ultimately to God. Ecclesiastes is like sitting down and having a cup of coffee with the smartest guy in the world. That's what this is all about. So today, I have with me an old-school Stanley Thermos. Growing up, I had a lot of time with my grandfather and my dad and others drinking coffee. We were outdoorsy people, so when we would go hunting or we'd go work out in my grandfather's property, we would always take a thermos with coffee. And several times during the day, we would stop our work. We would stop what we were doing to focus on a conversation and, and hanging out for a moment. We'd take the lid off that thermos, and we'd have some coffee. And I have it steaming for us right now. So I want to invite you again to sit down with me today. 
pull up a chair. Let's stop what we're doing. Let's focus on what the great King of Israel has to say to us. So it's like having a cup of coffee with him. So right now I'm going to pour your cup and mine, and I invite you right now, grab your Bibles, your devices, pull up a chair, and let's join King Solomon for another week of Chasing the Wind, Ecclesiastes. Here we go. So how do we look at life out from under the sun? How do we get ourselves out of that natural inclination that we have to live life like it's just life under the sun? Well, Solomon's helping us to do that. But the problem is having a hard conversation with a guy as smart as Solomon is also hard for us. So he doesn't tell you what you want to hear. And it's been tough so far, right? It's been tough looking at your work through the prism of truth and looking at the way you're living life. It's been tough having Solomon crush some of the ways we've all viewed our lives, like humanism and hedonism and pleasure and seasons and, and work. It's been really hard, but it's what we've needed. It's what we've needed. See, it's kind of like when you sleep all night long and the next morning, early in the morning before the sun comes up, you set your alarm because you knew you needed to get an early start. You knew you needed to get that workout in or get up and read and prepare for the day. And that alarm went off, but instead of getting up, you just reach over and you hit the snooze button. And you did it because you weren't ready to get up. You didn't want to face the day yet. And when the alarm goes off again, inevitably you hit that snooze button again because it's easier to just stay in the bed and stay comfortable. And that's going to be your inclination as you hear the words of Solomon, including today, is you kind of want to hit the snooze button on him. Not because what he's saying is boring. It's because it's tough. But today, can I tell you, don't hit the snooze button on this. Lean in. Engage your heart and your mind to hear how Solomon's going to teach us today in chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes how we can really, really begin to have an over-the-sun instead of under-the-sun perspective. All right, so if you have your Bibles or your devices, if you'll go to the book of Ecclesiastes with me now in the Old Testament. Again, it's written by King Solomon. We're going to go to chapter 5 today. We're going to read several verses that are going to help us understand the next thing Solomon wants to teach us, and it's this. Again, we've looked at pleasure and work and seasons and self-improvement. Today, we're going to look at going to church. We're going to look at our worship today. We're going to go to church with Solomon. Remember, Solomon built the greatest temple ever and he had time to observe the world. He observed what life looks like under the sun, including the way we worship, including the way we relate to God. And he's going to hit us with some hard truth today. So let's take a look at what he says. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, he says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. 
Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand in awe of God. So here in these verses, Solomon's going to take us to church. He's going to tell us what it looks like if we keep an under-the-sun view of church. Now, the problem is many of us are probably thinking, wait a minute, how can we worship God in an under-the-sun way? But we do it all the time. And the first thing he points out to us in verse 1 is he says, when you go to church or when you go to worship God, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Uh, go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. So the first thing he teaches us is how we should worship. The first way he's going to teach us to get life out from under the sun is going to be to teach us how we should worship God. And the problem is many of us worship God in a haphazard way. And what he's saying here right out of the gate is that in order for us to worship God in a biblical way, in a God-honoring way, to keep us from living lives that are simply under the sun is we need the correct perspective. And he says we should guard our steps. What does that mean? It means that we should be careful when we come to the house of God and worship. Now, he's talking to people who are believers. He's talking about people who know God, who know who he is, who know how great he is. He's talking to you and I today. The question is, how do you treat your relationship with God? And, and Solomon saw in his day something that's still true today. Many people simply go through the motions. And the first thing we see here is he says, many people do not watch this. They don't take their worship of God seriously. And, and the way you are on Sunday when you're at church, so to speak, or whenever you attend church in the house of God, whenever we do that collectively, that is a symbol of the way we're going to do our entire lives. And what Solomon says is he, is he has observed enough that he sees many, many people treat the worship of God in a very cavalier, haphazard way. They're inconsistent. Uh, they often come and they don't even have their minds and hearts on God. Uh, their minds are on other things. And I think that is true not only of Solomon's day, I think it is of us today. I think if you were honest, there are many times you come to church to check it off the list to make sure that you're a good Christian. So a good Christian goes to small group, comes to church on Sundays when you can, as long as there's not something else more important. And, and, and we kind of show up and we go through the motions. We sit through the sermon. We sing some songs if we know the words, but at least they're on the screen so we can sing those. And we treat the whole affair like it's just kind of a thing we do. And then we walk out the door and we're really not impacted in the rest of our lives by what happened on that day. Solomon says that's a huge problem. It needs to change. The first thing I would ask you today is this. How do you come to worship God? When you come to the physical gathering of believers, either online or in the building, how do you come to it? Is it, is it something you take seriously? Is it something that you look forward to, that you plan for, that you prepare for? Is it something that you just fit in your day? Is it something that you're just kind of marking off some list you have of what you think a person who says they believe in God should do? Uh, 
Solomon is going right at the way in which we worship. And he tells us in this first verse, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Now that's important. Underneath how we should worship, how we should come to the house of God, is what we should do when we come there. When you get the right view of God, you will not come simply to offer a sacrifice. That's his point here. The Bible tells us that that God would much rather have your heart than to have your sacrifices. He would much rather have you truly give your passions and your heart to Him than to have some sort of sacrificial system that you offered Him. In the Old Testament, this would mean animals that were brought in, but people only did it because it was part of what they were supposed to do. It had nothing to do with their hearts. The book of Isaiah says uh, that God spoke to His people and He said, hey, your lips say words about me, but your hearts are far from me. In the same way we can do that today in modern church. We can come to church and go through all the motions, but our hearts aren't really in it. We don't really love God. We don't really care for God. In fact, often the second we walk out the doors, our hearts are really back on the very things that we're truly passionate about. We're really passionate about our jobs or our homes or our kids being successful or the money we're making or aren't making or the elections that are taking place, our politics or our hobbies. Those are our real passions, but we fit this God thing in. And let me just give you a new perspective today. We don't fit, according to Solomon here, we are not to fit God into our lives. We are to love God with all of our lives, and that begins to shape everything else we do. So we don't set our relationship with God alongside our dating life, our marriage life, our kids' lives, our hobbies, our jobs. What we do is we love God with all of our hearts and souls and minds. We, we love God completely, and then that shapes our entire life. In fact, Jesus jumped on this very thing that Solomon was alluding to here in Ecclesiastes when he taught us this in the New Testament. Jesus said this in the book of Mark. He said, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all of your strength. Now, what did he mean by that? What he means is God, and and, and we need to remember this about him, God is God. He's the great triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, uh, three persons, one God, and he is undivided. Our God is undivided, and too often we're bringing Him divided passions, divided affections, divided worship. But what Jesus is saying is if we will follow Him, then He will develop in us a love for God that is undivided. Notice that He knocks down all the walls of compartmentalization that we try to place in our lives. We don't, according to Jesus, we should not. The great commandment is not to just love God in our minds, but not love Him with our strength. No, no, we are to love God with every part of who we are. We're not just to worship Him on Sundays and then live our lives until we come back to the church on Sundays. That was Solomon's point. No, we are to worship God completely with our hearts, with our entire lives. This is so very important for us to understand. Too many of us are divided. But God is undivided. And He demands from us undivided passions and affections and worship. So let me ask you today. What is God sharing your passion and affection with in your life? What is it that you place right alongside of Him, if you're honest? Solomon would say, that needs to change. And the next time you approach the house of God, have that in your mind, that you want to change the way you approach the living God.
Let's look at verse 2 for a second. I want you to notice something very important that Solomon says here. So right out of the gate, we've learned that to get our focus in life out from under the sun to over the sun, to our God who's over the sun, uh, to our great God who created all things. If we want that type of God, gospel, biblical perspective on our lives, then it starts with how we worship Him. And it starts with how we approach Him. And maybe the reason we are so haphazard in how we worship God is that we, we don't have a real clarity in our minds on who He is. So Solomon reminds us in verse 2, he says, don't be quick with your mouth. Don't be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. Watch this, because God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. So Solomon reminds us of something here that I have to remind my kids about sometimes in my house. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Have your kids ever smarted off to you? They've ever been disrespectful? and Or maybe they even talked to you in, I don't know, just a really casual way, like you're one of their buddies. And have you ever had to look at them and go, hey, 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 don't forget who I am. Don't forget I'm your dad. I'm not just one of your buddies right now. I'm just, I'm not one of the kids at the baseball field. I'm, I'm like your dad. I'm, I'm the guy that's putting food on the table, roof over your head. I'm the dad. In a much larger way, in a much larger way, that's what Solomon's teaching us right now. Many of us are coming to church and our modern sensibilities have done this to us in many ways. We are very casual with God. Now, a church like the one I lead and many others, there's a casual nature to our churches because we don't, we don't really teach, hey, you need to wear a suit and a tie to come to church. If you want to, very cool. I like suits and ties. They're awesome. But normally, I don't teach in a suit and tie. I mean, today I have a, a, a vest and a pullover on, right? And, and so we do not think that God requires us. We don't believe the Bible teaches that He requires you to wear a certain thing or to wear your hair a certain way to approach Him, that you can come boldly before the throne room of God. But at the same time, you should not be casual when you approach God. That's different. You can wear casual clothes, but your heart by no means should be casual. Listen, you should be comfortable, but you shouldn't be casual. This, this reminds me, when I, when I was a new parent, my firstborn child, Gabe, my oldest son, when he was a baby, I was scared to death. I was not comfortable with him. I respected the fact that I had a baby and I was scared to do anything with him. I was so careful with him and around him. But by the second and third kid, I'm like, woo, everything's fine. You just get more comfortable. Now, I was still very careful with Cooper and Gracie, my second and my third child. Very careful, but I was comfortable with them. But even though I became more comfortable holding my babies and taking care of them and, and tossing them in the air and catching them and playing with them and having fun, I was more casual with my second and my third kid because I wasn't as nervous and I, I knew the process. I, I did not lose the respect and the care that I wanted to have for them. I knew this is still a serious situation. That is what it looks like for those of us who are mature in Christ. We understand that Jesus paid the, the debt of our sin and we have a father-child relationship with the living God. That's unbelievable. But don't forget he's still your father in heaven. And Solomon reminds us of that. He says, hey, when you come to church, to the house of God, don't you forget you're approaching the living God. And while, yeah, you can come to church in your t-shirt and jeans, we're not, we're not going to give you a hard time about that because I preach that way sometimes. But your heart doesn't need to be in that same place. Your heart needs to be comfortable with your Father, but also respectful of your God. He's both, he, listen, He's Father and He's King at the same time. This is why when Jesus taught us to pray, 
He started off by saying, don't talk about yourself first. That's what Solomon's saying here. He's saying, don't be like a fool when you come to church. Don't make it about you. This is about the living God. Take it seriously. Prepare. Jesus said when you pray to God that you are not to start by asking Him for things for yourself. You're to start by saying, our Father who art in heaven. Same idea. And Jesus said that in the book of Matthew when He taught us how to pray. So when you pray, you need to say, our Father, yes, we are close to Him, we're comfortable with Him, but He is over us who art in heaven. Solomon says it here, don't forget, you're on earth. You're the created, He's the creator. So because of that, when you have all that in mind, it changes how you approach coming to church. Instead of coming to church to offer God what you have for Him, you actually come to church to hear from Him and to learn from Him and to open up your heart and life to be changed by what He has for you. That's what Solomon says here. He says, don't be quick with your mouth. Don't be hasty with your heart. Let your words be few. And he says there in verse 1, when you go to church, go to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. I think many of us come to church and we're just ready to sing to God, ready to give God what we have for Him. But more important is for you to receive what He has for you. That requires humility and it requires us to stop seeing our worship in church like under the sun. Because under the sun is transactional. Under the sun is how idol worshipers worship idols. But that's not us. We have a relationship with God. So when we come together to worship Him, Solomon says the way in which we worship is important to helping us get out from under the sun. We worship an undivided God, therefore our hearts need to be undivided when we come to Him in worship. So today, let me ask you something. How do you worship God? How do you come to church? How do you think about coming to the house of God? Solomon says this is vital to your life and whether or not you're going to live a life under the sun or over the sun. So Solomon tells us here in chapter 5 that when we approach God in worship, it's important how we do that, how we worship. He now is going to also teach us that how we pray, when we pray to God, which is a part of our worship, how we pray is a part of us getting out from under the sun. And he tells us here in chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes that our words should be few. When we understand who God is, our words should be few. In other words, Solomon is saying that the way we pray to God is actually an indication of how well we know Him. And if you know God, you're going to understand that you do not have to pray these huge, long, babbling prayers to get His attention. Now, what is Solomon talking about? He is looking at the entire world, which he's already told you he got to look at all the religions. He saw how all the world worshipped. And he's, and he's pointing out the fact that people who really know the living God, the one true God, should come to Him. The undivided God. He is God in heaven. Only one. Remember, Solomon spoke this into a polytheistic culture. Polytheism means many gods. But the, the Jewish nation, the one Solomon led, was a monotheistic people, meaning they believed in one God. And so here he reminds us that our worship of a monotheistic God should not look like the worship that people give to these polytheistic idols, which are not the real God. And, and what he says is one of, the, one of the distinctives of false worship and false prayers to false gods is that there's not a relationship and an intimacy about it, but there is a form of repetition and an inauthentic uh, repeating of yourself when it comes to your relationship with God. It's almost like you feel like the way to conjure up 
his affections is for you to just say a whole bunch of stuff over and over again. This comes into incantations and all sorts of other things that false religions do. And Solomon in Ecclesiastes points out that should not be the way we are. Guess who else said the same thing? Jesus himself. Jesus and his quintessential teaching on prayer in the book of Matthew, he tells us don't pray like that. In fact, listen to Matthew chapter 6 beginning in verse 5. He says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Just like Solomon's saying, we're not to look like this polytheistic culture around us. Jesus says the same thing. He says, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Notice, that's why. If you don't know the living God, then you're not praying to a God that you have a relationship with. So the only reason you would pray is that so others could see you. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians do the same thing. They go to church so that others will see them in church. Uh, they'll pray and lift their hands so that others will see that, hey, they fit the Christian club. Jesus says, don't do that. He says, I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father. See, that's the difference. We have a relationship with him. It's the same thing Solomon's saying. He's saying, don't pray like you don't know God. Pray like you know him. I remember one time, one of the teams I was on in high school, we won this big game and trophy and all that, and, and we were just going crazy. I remember our coach going, hey, act like you've been here, guys. Act like you know how to be a champion. And Solomon and Jesus both are saying to us believers, hey, act like you know him. Don't act like you don't know God, that you don't know how to talk to him. Act like you have a relationship with the living God, your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now watch this, verse 7. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. That's what polytheistic, false worship pagans do. They babble on and on. Jesus said, don't do that. For they think, now this is what they think. This is under the sun worship. This is what under the sun worship looks like. They think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And isn't that what Solomon says? Solomon says, you need to remember who you're talking to when you come to church. You don't need to come casual because you know how great he is. You need to come serious. I'm going to speak to my heavenly father while I'm on earth and he's in heaven. I am living in an under the sun world, so I desperately need to connect to my over the sun father so that I cannot waste my life living it like this is all that there is. And when I do that, when I pray, Solomon and Jesus, they're both telling us, don't pray like you don't know him. You can come to your father with authentic, passionate, prayer. And when you love him and know him, you can talk to him like he's your father. Don't fall into this religious trap because you are not just in a religion. You are in a relationship with the living God. So when you worship and when you pray, pray like you know him. So as we look at chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes, the, the third thing he's going to teach us, so Solomon first started talking to us about how we approach God in worship. Then he talks to us about how we approach God in prayer. Now he's going to talk about how you commit to God, how we commit to Him. And he says there's an under-the-sun way, the way pagans, the way unbelievers, or the way believers and false gods deal with their idols. And he says, and then there's the way we as the children of God should be. Let's just look at it again. Look what he says. He says in verse 4, When you make a vow to God, since you know he's the living God, do not delay in fulfilling it. And he has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It's better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Don't let your mouth lead you into sin. Then he talks about not protesting the temple messenger. 
and acting like your vow was a mistake that you should have never made it. In verse 7, he says, Much dreaming and many words are meaningless, therefore stand in awe of God. This is so very important for us because many of us make commitments to God that we're just not prepared to keep. And, and what Solomon warns you about here is a couple of things. Number one, that is a distinctive. Making vows and commitments to God, that is what the false believers, the people that would follow idols in his day and in Jesus' day and in our day, whatever idol you bow down to, your idol demands of you, right? And so you make all these commitments, because you think that's what will get this God, this deity, to do what you want him to do. So there are all these, I give you my, this is where child sacrifice came from in ancient times. I'll give you my firstborn. I'll give you this. I'll give you that. And Christianity is the only one where God says, no, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my son. I'm going to lay my son down for you. And now I want you to love me and follow me. And what Solomon's saying here is he's watched how people, even the people of God, treat the living God when they come to the house of God and in their own relationship with him. And he says, we look so much like the polytheistic non-believers who are following idols all over the world. And he says, we go on and on with our prayers like we don't even know God. We show up to church haphazardly. We don't treat it like it's important, like it matters. And then he says, and then we'll make commitments to God that we don't keep. In fact, he brings up one uh, that's still true today in, in the church world. In his day, people would make commitments to the priest and they would say, hey, I'm going to give. The, the Bible was real big on if you were a follower of God, you would give a percentage of your income to God. That's what you did. And people would make that commitment to the priest and then they would come back to the temple and they would say, hey, I shouldn't have made that vow. You know, I'm not going to be able to afford it now or some other things came up. The same thing happens today. People will say, I'm going to commit my finances to God. And then the big trip comes up or the vacation possibility or the house they really want to build and they decide, you know what, that's going to be hard to do right now. We get really creative about it then. People get funny when it comes to money. And Solomon knew that in his day. And he says, hey, if you can't follow God with your finances and being generous, then you have an under-the-sun view of Him. You have an under-the-sun view of your worship and your commitments to Him. So, so Solomon says, don't act like the idol worshipers all over the world where you think to get him to love you, you got to give him something. God just loves you. And what you understand is when you begin to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength the way Jesus told you to, your giving and your generosity and your keeping of your commitments to him, well, they will become authentic as well. And your commitments to him will mean something to you because it's to your father. And let me tell you the difference. Solomon and Jesus both keep telling you, this is your father you're talking to not just some abstract idol sitting on a shelf in your room, not some force that you're trying to appease, not some group of Greek gods that you're trying to make like you and happy with you. Now, what is the difference? The difference is if you're trying to please God, fulfill commitments and make commitments to Him, and you don't really love Him, you're like a kid who doesn't respect his dad, but the kid wants to be able to get what he wants. So he says, Dad, if you'll give me the, the cell phone, if you'll let me use my cell phone, then I'll clean up my room, and I'll never let it get messy again. And, and let's just be honest, that's not going to happen. Like, you know, that kid's not going to never mess up his room. He doesn't respect his dad. He's just trying to make it's transactional. Dad, I'll make all these commitments. Maybe you'll let me get what I want. That's what a false relationship with God looks like. But when he's your father... What Solomon's saying is that you begin to want to obey him out of your heart. It becomes an affection thing. You don't have to be coerced. So stop making all these big, grand commitments with all your wordy prayers. Instead, 
You just do what God wants you to do. You love Him and obey Him because of who He is. So, so now Solomon has taught us the way we worship, the way we pray, and the way we commit to God. Very, very important. And too many of us are living that part of our lives like it's just under the sun, like we don't even know God at all. Solomon says that needs to change, and he has one more piece of advice to help us with that. Let's take a look at that right now. So now Solomon has taught us. He's taught us that our, our worship, our relationship with God, the way we go to church, needs to look different than the rest of the world. We shouldn't be under the sun people. We serve and worship an over-the-sun God. And, and so he has one more thing to say here. After giving us all these details, he sums it up. He says, therefore, since all that's true, since it's the living God you serve, not an idol, and since you don't have to pray like the rest of the world, you can just pray simple uh, conversational prayers with God, and since you understand that your God is in heaven, even though he's close to you, he's still overall, you're going to worship him in that way. And since you understand you don't have to make these grandiose commitments to God that you may or may not keep, that's not part of the job. He, he, he ends it by telling you this. What you need to do is you need to simply stand in awe of God. Many translations say it like this. Fear God and follow Him. That's what it comes down to. Now, when he talks about standing in awe of God or fearing God, he doesn't want you to be scared of Him. He wants you to have this respect and awe of Him. He is the living God. Listen, He's the living God. Now, are you treating Him that way? The way you worship, the way you show up at church or don't show up, the way you make commitments to Him. What about your finances? Do you fulfill the biblical commitments for finances with God? Is that a part of Are you, listen, are you a serious God follower? As Solomon wants you to be. And Solomon says, look, if you're not serious about this, what are you doing? Are you just a church attender? Well, I go to church. Well, that's not the question. That, Jesus didn't die for you to be a church attender. Jesus died for you to give your life away for Him, to lay it down, and it may cost you everything. And He says, and you'll gain more than you ever imagined. But the question is, are you really a Christ follower? And according to this, the only way for you, the only way for you to really get out from under the sun is to give your life to the only one who came for you from over the sun. Do you understand that? The gospel is you can't fulfill all your commitments anyway. God knew you couldn't. God knew you would have a divided heart often. God knew that you would worship Him haphazardly. He knew all that about you and I both. So Jesus came. Jesus came. God knew you and I could not achieve an over-the-sun life since we are under-the-sun creatures apart from Him. So He came Himself from over the sun and was born under the sun and lived 33 years under the sun in this under-the-sun world. And He was crucified to a cruel cross under the sun. And He paid for our sins. And the only way you can live an over-the-sun life is to have an under-the-sun experience with God that connects you to your over-the-sun Father. And that's through Jesus. Jesus Christ is the only one who could bridge the gap between under and over the sun. And He did it. So that now you and I, even though we still live under the sun, we have this unbelievable over-the-sun perspective in every area of our lives, including church and worship. 
It's why we can fulfill our financial commitments to God and trust Him with it. It's why we pray differently. It's why we, we have so much joy when we come to church. It's not, we're not just checking off a list. We're coming together with our brothers and sisters to worship our living God. That's why we get together online. That's why right now you, right there online, that's why you got up, went into your living room, got your family together, made your dog sit down to be, be quiet, you made coffee, and you turned on that video or that TV, and that's why you're sitting there right now. Why? Because we don't serve some dead God. We serve the living God. And Solomon tells us today, stand in awe of him, fear him, respect him, and change the way you worship. Because you're not worshiping an idol or a dead God. You're worshiping the one and only living God. I pray today uh, that your affections are stirred for him, even right now. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, worship Your It's a new day dawning It's time to sing your song again Whatever may pass And whatever lies before me Let me be singing when the evening comes Bless the Stop. 
Yes, I will.